Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 1 through 7, the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, verse 15 through 17, and 21 through 22, and Psalm 29. Ask anyone who hails from a tribal nation and that person will give a surprisingly familiar response, the same response that you would hear from anyone from such an upbringing. So ask a little Zuni boy what he wants to be when he grows up, and his answer will be a Zuni. Ask a little Bedouin girl, what she wants to be when she grows up, and she will say that she wants to be a Bedouin. I'll tell you, Westerners ask the silliest kinds of questions. What else would she want to be? Ask Inuit children what they want to be when they grow up, and they will say that they want to be Inuits. That is not the sort of answer that children of European descent will give. You ask them what they want to be, and they know how to answer this. They will tell us that they want to be a doctor, or a lawyer, or a teacher, or a baseball player. Westerners tend to look at tribal peoples and say something like, you know, they don't have much ambition. And tribal peoples will look at Europeans and say, they don't know who they are. And therein lies a difference. We Westerners tend to take our identity from what we do. And tribal peoples take their identity from something else. They take their identity from who they are. At our worst, and sometimes we think that this is our best, At our worst, we Westerners will do and do and do some more and work and work and extend the resumes and get awards and still find an emptiness in the middle of life. We cannot become tribal people. That's not the point. And their ways are not ours. I love the desert, and especially on a cold day in the the American heartland, I pine away after the desert. But I do not have the soul of a Zuni or a Bedouin to tribal peoples of the desert. 
we cannot become those peoples, but they have something important to tell us. The Western voice tells our children, you can become anything you want to if you put your mind to it. It would serve us well if we would hear that nagging voice that would say to us, it helps if you know who you are. A young man from the tribe of Judah who lives in Nazareth of Galilee awakens one day to an awareness of the River Jordan, has to go there. Something inside tells him he has to go to the water, to that particular stretch of water. He has to go there. He is a carpenter and a son of a carpenter. But what he does cannot tell him what he needs to know. His livelihood is a footnote to our knowledge of this man from the tribe of Judah and Nazareth of Galilee. He looks to the south and to the east, that place from which the river beckons, and he wonders, and he finally decides to follow that wonderment wherever it was going to take him and into whatever it might tell him. He sets out from his tiny village in the Galilean highlands and goes down and down and down to a place far below sea level, as low as it gets on the face of the earth. He goes to the River Jordan there in the wilderness of Judea, his own tribal homeland. He is drawn there by the message of a wild man of a preacher named John, who speaks words of repentance and forgiveness and the politics of God. The carpenter's son stands in the desert there by the water and listens. What the strange people, preacher has to say resonates for the man from Nazareth of Galilee, resonates with a yearning that he has recognized in his own soul, but perhaps has never been able to give words to. And then it becomes clear I have to go into the water. I have to do what this man is telling me to do. I must do it. So he follows his yearning that he does not quite understand. 
And our best yearnings are often just like that. He follows the yearning into the water. And there's something right about this and right about the preacher's words. He gives in. And he goes into the water. Under the water, he is pushed. As he comes out of the water, something unexpected happens. The heavens tear apart. The verb in Matthew's gospel is not as vivid as it needs to be. The heavens rip open. And a voice. This is my own child, my beloved, with whom I am deeply, deeply pleased. And the carpenter's son blinks with realization. This is who he is and who he has been all along. And now, now it's starting to make sense. Friends, we have yearnings ourselves, not, not entirely unlike those in Jesus' own heart. And I'm here to tell you that we do well to pay attention to them and to honor them. What Jesus does with those yearnings, however unclear they might have been, can become our way also. Because you see, we are children of God also. We are the beloved. Jesus has been these things from before time and forever. We are God's children by adoption. But no less God's children because of that fact. We enter into the household of God explicitly from the time of our baptism. It was 30-odd years on into Jesus' life that he went into the murky waters of the Jordan River and there discovered a truth about himself that had been there all along. There was never a moment when he was not God's beloved. But that truth becomes clear in that moment and it shapes his life from that day forward. And all the wondrous things that he said and did flew, flow, flowed. Whew, I'm having trouble with verb tenses this morning. All of this flowed out of this knowing, this being, this realization. I am God's child the beloved. You know, it really does help to know who you are. 
Baptism makes clear who we are in our own lives. We've always been beloved by God. Baptism simply puts it out publicly, lays it bare out in the open for us to realize and for everyone else to see. We are beloved by God. And oh yes, we are also lawyers and doctors and teachers and baseball players. But first of all, we are beloved by God. It is probably the most important knowledge that we can impart to our own children, that they are God's children and deeply loved. This is so important in a world like the one that we live in, in which there are people to tell us at every turn, uh, no, you're not loved. You're not lovable. In fact, you are unlovely. In fact, you're just ugly. The world will tell us things like this and say them to us over and over, which is why it is important for us to say the contrary and gospel message over and over. You are loved. Oh, you are lovely. I love you. God loves you over and over, thousands upon thousands of times. To break through these terrible message, messages that the world wants us to believe. How many people are there who bear the wounds from a world who have said ugly things like this to them? How many people bear the wounds from a church who has said things like this to them? Oh, we tend to be slow learners on this point. This matter of being loved and being lovable, that we are children of God, that's who we are must be said over and over again. In a thousand different ways, it must be said until finally we begin to get it. And um, importantly, others must say this about us also. This is the community of the beloved. Right here we are. There is no other. In this community of the Hyde Park neighborhood in the city of Cincinnati, I bet you don't have to go very far to learn just how unlovable you are. And how important it is to have a community like this, where you can discover something about the love of God and hear the gospel message, which is a contradictory message, 
to what the world and some churches would have you believe. Remember the truth of Jesus' baptism and yours. Your mission, your ministry is to act upon that truth, that you are the beloved. We will hear people today who will stand in front of us and reaffirm the meaning of their own baptism here in our presence, that they are among the beloved. I hope that they understand that to the core of their being. This is a crucial, important, spiritual truth for us to embrace. And it makes a difference in our lives when nothing else will seem quite to work. But the work that we have goes beyond this. Our work involves also the delightful process of drawing in the others, for they are the beloved too. And I am completely convinced of this truth, that there are some people out there, just right out there, who will never hear this gospel truth unless we are here to say it and to say it the way that we say it. This is not some kind of Episcopal Church triumphalism that I'm talking about. I am talking about getting the saving words to lives who otherwise will never know the great liberty, the love, the delight that the Redeemer takes in us. You, you, dear friends, you are the beloved. I challenge you, I plead with you to act upon that truth. Amen.